<laughs> he spilled his monster. Episode 58 of the Metal Blade Podcast, Ryan just spilled his monster. Now we're rolling on this. We're, we're, we're rolling now. You're looking for paper? They're in the bathroom, dude. And that's how we're going to start this one. We talked to Mark Lewis on this podcast. He just finished producing the um, new Black Dolly murder record with uh, our own Ryan Williams. And there are a shitload of uh, tours coming up this summer. Obviously, the Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival with King Diamond and Slayer. And uh, we also have Whitechapel headlining the second stage. Uh, we have Goat Whore on tour. They're doing a headlining run with uh, Ringworm and Theories. There's Between the Buried to Me going on tour uh, throughout July with Animals as Leaders and the Contortionists. And Cancer Bats are going out with Danzig. And uh, in the immediate future, Battlecross will be supporting Crowbar on the road. They're actually going to be in town in not too long here. So, Ryan, you got that monster all cleaned up that you spilled? Yes. Awesome. What is it, summertime touring season or what? It is. It's, uh, it's the time of the year where we're just getting bombarded with uh, new tour announcements pretty much on a weekly basis. Oh, yeah, and Summer Slaughter, of course. Summer Slaughter's been announced. Summer's Laughter. Yeah, Summer's Laughter Tour. So we're going to have plenty to do here in the not-too-distant future. Uh, also, one thing I wanted to mention, too, is Twitching Tongues is playing a really cool show on June 13th out in Pomona. Is it going to be World War Five? Yeah, I hope so. Oh, yeah. uh, they're going to be playing one new song, so I'm fucking excited for that. We just got the master for that record, the new Twitching Tongues. I'm pretty sure I can get Mike Failey to stage dive yeah. at that show. I don't know. We'll see. Is there a big enough stage at that place? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Either way, he's going to be he's going to be pumped. he's going to be near the pit. So that is uh, kind of our next few weeks, a few weeks plus Hellfest. So a few yeah. of us are going to Hellfest oh, in you Europe. Bastards! I know it's uh, it's going to be a heck of a uh, little trip there, and we're going to meet up with Sam from Blizzard. It's so weird to me how Hellfest started out as a hardcore fest, yeah. here and then went to France. Well, no, it's different. I know it's a different thing, but they kind of like stole the name, yeah. And, uh, well, it's the French Hellfest. It's different yeah, than the uh, American one that you know went away. Yeah, I know. After a bunch of you know, really le- cool, legal troubles, and it's a stuff very like cool that. fest. Yeah, I mean, European fests for people in America uh, that don't understand, they have this whole culture of summer festivals in Europe that is really cool, uh, really dirty and smelly and dusty, and uh, people just go for like three days and camp there. They sleep there. They get up early, watch bands, buy stuff. It's like a whole different thing that we don't really experience over here. And I mean, there are a few festivals, but... It's nothing like that. It's just, um, especially for metal, yeah. the numbers are nowhere near what they do in Europe. That's a really We're like, talking deep-seated Va- thing We're talking doing 80,000 people. And there's, yeah. I mean, if a festival like that happened over here with that many people at a metal festival, yeah. it would be on like... CNN. I'm sure metal people here know of it, but if if you know if you can ever take a trip to Europe in the summer to catch some of the uh, fests, I would say go for if it. If you go to the biggest attended mayhem date here, yeah, Vakken is like four of those exactly. put together. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just the the sheer number of bands and people. So Hellfest is going to be a really fun time. I mean, Faith No More is playing. Uh, Alice Cooper, uh, we have Ensiferum, Twitching Tongues, Armored Saint, and Cannibal Corpse all playing. It's going to be killer. The lineup is just so diverse and so cool with just, they have stages that are kind of the different genres. They have a stage that's mostly hardcore. Yeah. They have stage that's mostly kind of the the heavier black metal, brutal stuff. Mm -hmm. And then they have a couple of the main stages that has the bigger bands, kind of doesn't really matter what genre they are, but the bigger bands that draw the most people. So it's, I've heard so many good things about how it's organized, so many good things about the food, of course, because it's France. Um, and it's just the, the antithesis of what you hear from the States where sometimes the fests aren't so well organized or yeah. they're a little bit more of a mess. You're going to see a lot uh, of obviously, uncut dicks peeing everywhere. <laughs> yeah. What you're I, see. Obviously Mayhem and Warp Tour, they're really, really well put together. But some of the other ones, you just, you hear some horror stories sometimes. Well, I think over there it's, uh, it's been going on for a long time. They have their, uh, productions down and it's, it runs really smoothly and it's, uh, it's a fun time. Yeah. We're going to be filming with, um you know, our bands and putting together some behind the scenes and things like that. Yeah, so that's cool. I'm going to run the camera for a few, for a few days and uh, see what we come up with. That's awesome. I'm jealous. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I won't really believe it's happening until I'm there. Yeah. I've never been to Europe. So oh, I'm man. Really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, the worst part's the flight and then that, yeah. that first day when you're all discombobulated. Yeah. Well, I did a flight to Japan, that, but well, there you go. from LA to Tokyo is only about nine hours. Yeah. It's so about that, the same. that's, you know, just barely longer than a New York to LA flight, just a couple hours. 
So, you know, we're going to have a layover somewhere and then have to go into Western France. And one thing I do like about Hellfest and this kind of being my first Europe experience is that it's in Western France, nowhere near Paris. So it'll be a little bit out of the way. Yeah, there's nothing and around I'll, there. I yeah, don't I'll, think, really. I'll get to see essentially what, you know, North American tourists might not usually see, oh, which, yeah. you know, tourists sometimes stick to the cities. Sure. So it, that'll be kind of a unique experience. Nice. Yeah. Damn, first well, time in Europe. That's a pretty big deal. I know. It's too bad you couldn't get out of France a little bit. Yeah, just there's so much within just you'll an, the, an immediate driving distance. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, they'll make it over there. So it's yeah. just, you know, we've, we've got such a crazy schedule over here in the office. It's hard to get away for no, any more than a few days. I know it. Um, but anyway, we just put out a bunch of records, uh, Secrets of the Sky, their new one, uh, Pathway is out now. Mm-hmm, awesome. Um, we have two music videos out, Angel and Vines by director Andrew Nethery. And then I did the video for uh, Eternal Wolves, you can see. On, we just uh, saw them live. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We finally saw them live. Super cool vibe. It's everything, you know, they talked to us about the podcast. It was really dark, uh, really loud, and just a really cool, immersive vibe. Um, and they played with an all the thrack. Oh, yeah. Who I'd never seen before. And we've hung out with Mick Kenny a few times, the guitar player. Yeah. He, he lives out here now. He does production right. out here. Uh-huh. And we finally met Dave Hunt, who is the vocalist of Anal Thrack. Probably the best banter of anyone I've ever heard. The best stage banter. If you're not following Metal Blade on Instagram, you're missing that stuff. I put out, a, I put up a video of Dave uh, doing some of his stage banter on Instagram, and then I put a few full songs on YouTube. Dude, he's so funny. He's got that British, you know, Monty Python esque uh, wit. The best. My favorite part was when the uh, bass player was like, "Oh, you guys, they said." Uh, you can't stage dive, but if you still want to stage dive, it's cool. And he kind of was rambling a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, he goes, what my esteemed colleague was trying to say is, and like <laughs> explains it in this awesome English accent. It was yeah. so funny. Yeah, I, I loved it. It was such a cool show and it was, you know, a pretty packed show late here on a weeknight in LA. Just one of those cool kind of, it was a small enough show, but it was packed. So everyone knew it was a good show where it was just a fun place to be where you knew it was kind of semi-exclusive, you know. A you lot of just, shows at the complex now. Yeah, I, the complex up in Glendale is kind yeah. of a, a, a hidden gem. Uh, Church of the Eighth Day just started booking shows there. And they're promoters here in L.A. that have been doing underground shows for a hell of a long time. Um, and they're always kind of bouncing around venues just because keeping a venue for a long time is tough in any town mm-hmm. and LA is no exception, but the complex is a cool spot. I hope they keep booking shows there cause I like it a heck of a lot. They have really good beer. Yeah. Seems it's, like it's going yeah. well there. Yeah. And that's kind of the, uh, the, the rundown of what's going on here at the blade. Obviously armored saints got a new record, the great discord, uh, between the bear to me is only, you know, July 10th. That's coming up fast. Uh, we have another new track from that one coming out shortly. I think this podcast will come out right before that track comes out. Um, if you haven't watched Between the Bear Enemies new video for the uh, the Coma Machine uh, from their record, Coma Ecliptic, it's another video by Wes Richardson, uh, Blake, the drummer's brother, who is an a- absolutely staggeringly talented uh, animator and director. Uh, they had a steady cam of uh, camera guy shoot the video, and then Wes did all the post and color grading, and the post is... doing a little bit of the video production that I've done so far. This is Hollywood level uh, post-production in a video. Yeah. I don't know if everyone looks at it the same way that I might, because I kind of have that jaded view of, I can dissect and kind of figure out how things are done. Sure. But it's insanely tedious and really, really well done. So I hope people can at least appreciate that Wes is putting as much time and thought into the visuals for those videos as like say between the barrier to me is into the actual songs. How do they keep getting better and better? It's crazy. I, mean, I don't know. They're, you know, some, like I've said before, some bands age like wine and some like milk. So yeah. they're, they're definitely aging like wine and look, they're, you know, they're the types of musicians that they're always listening to new things and yeah. they're always trying to do something different. They have, uh, yeah. be- between the, the, a bunch of them, they've all got different influences and they're all, you know, it's a democratic, democratically run band. So it's an always an amalgamation of what's happening in that band at that time. Yeah. It's not like it's they're, awesome. it's not like a, a factory where they're stamping out a new record every two years mechanically. Right. It's, you know, they try to stick to a, some sort of semblance of a schedule, but yeah, no, the creative process there is pretty, uh, pretty genuine. It's cool to watch them work. Yeah. Listen to new stuff and be blown away. And we'll get to hear some of it uh, live soon. Very cool. But uh, on the note of new things, uh, which you haven't heard yet, and I think this will come out right before we uh, release some new music from the Black Dahlia Murder, we had a chance this week to talk to Mark Lewis, who is hot off finishing the mix for the Black Dahlia Murder's new record. And Ryan, Thunder you, Shark, I like to call him. <laughs> thund, th- Mark, th- Thunder what? Thunder Shark. 
Why is that? I don't know, because Mark always like takes these words and puts the first letter on the opposite, so it'll be like, instead of Mark Lewis, it's Lark Mewis. Okay. He, he does that. He can't stop himself from doing it, so I don't know. I just started calling him Shark Lewis, and then it just grew from there. Okay. But uh, <laughs> I just like to mess with him, too, because right, you know, yeah. it's funny, and he's tall and huge. He is a large man. He could kill us. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, Mark's great, and uh, you know, working with him on the new Black Dahlia murder was awesome. And I always learn stuff from Mark. He's an extremely talented engineer. He tries to be humble, but he's uh, at the top of the game right now, and uh, pretty much doing some of our coolest records. You know, Whitechapel, Cannibal. I mean, a lot of the coolest, best sounding records are coming from Mark right now. So it's pretty awesome to know him and to be able to text him and be like, "Hey, man, how do you do this?" or you know, to have him as a friend is as an engineer is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, without uh, further ado, let's check out our chat with Mark. What's going on, guys? How you doing, Good. man? Thanks for having me. Of course. Well, well, thank you for uh, all the wonderful work you do all all uh, all year and every year. Yeah, well, you know, it kind of drives me a little crazy. I'm sitting here going crazy right now. I did take a long weekend this this past weekend though, which was unbelievable for me. Oh, that's good. Good. Did you uh, turn your phone off? I kind of did, you know, I mean, I, I really did. I tried to not, um, look at it too much. I, I got an email about the, the white chapel live thing on, on, uh, on Monday afternoon. And I told, uh, the video editor to start making me think about work and I'll email him on Tuesday. <laughs> Perfect. So for people that don't know you, Mark, uh, give us a little, uh, a bio of who the heck you are. I don't know. Guitar nerds. It, has a copy of Pro Tools. Oh, come on, <laughs> Mr. Modest. <laughs> what, 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 well, let's do this. What, what What would you consider your top five records that you've worked on? Like top five as top far five. as, you know, biggest bands or most successful releases? Top five records. All right. Well, obviously I'm a producer, engineer, mixer. So if I had to pick top five records for people to learn about me, I don't know, man. That's tough. It is. Well, what what record would you say broke you or got people to know your name or what was one of the first bigger bands that you landed? Oh, well, when Jason and I were still working together, you know, 24/7, it was uh it was I would say without a doubt it was Barry You Dead beating the breakdown. That was it. That was the one that Yeah. made some heads spin. That was the and, first um, one that I uh that I heard about you and Jason on as well actually. Yeah, yeah, and and that's funny, man, because, you know, I can't believe that record's going to be coming up on 10 years old, at yeah. least as far as when we made it. And, um, you know, I mean, I we were really new kids on the block then, and I mean, I'm not exactly an, an old guy, but, you know, I'm not young anymore either, and that's just crazy how time flies. So, yeah, I would say that one, and then, you know, the one that really put Jason on the map was was, uh, was Ascendancy. Trivium, and then right? following... Yeah, Trivium, yeah, Trivium Ascendancy. And then following that, he and I did the Crusade together, and um, it was kind of a loathed album when it came out, but now people seem to like that album a lot. And, I, you know, was, hey, I mean, it was cool with me. It was a fun record to make. You know, it still sold well, so that's good. Um, but I don't know if I, I'm, you know, are we putting that in the top five? I don't know. That was another big one around that time. And then, uh, so yeah. Uh, Beauty and the Breakdown, Devil Driver, Last Kind Words was one that people really liked a lot. Yeah. Um, now, did you you actually went to a recording school, right? Well, yeah, yes, I did. I mean, I I went to. Um, I like the hesitation there. <laughs> I think that's how every engineer that yeah. goes to school feels. He's like, well, yeah, I did, but. Yeah, it's you know, I mean, ah, fuck it. I mean, I just didn't didn't like the school. I didn't like anything about the structure of the learning and. Yeah, you know, I you know I'm glad I did it because I ended up moving to Florida and meeting Jason. Right. But uh, you know, J- Jason Jason went to the same school and he and he dropped out. Yeah. And look, you know, look where he is. You know, I mean, and, and it was um, it was all about networking. And I mean, you know, my my dad was always a proponent of education, which is great. You know, like sure. I think I think educating yourself is great, but I think that that recording is. You know, and I say this probably once or twice a week, if not sometimes a few times a day. It's not, it's not ditch digging, man. You can't just tell somebody how to do this. I mean, it, and, and I feel the same way about art schools and all that stuff. You can, you can teach somebody how to draw a line, but you know, you, you can only take them so far when it when it comes to to art. And I guess when you, when it comes down to it, we're all uh, 
you know, artists, nerds. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Them. I totally agree, especially when it comes to all those uh, vocational schools with entertainment education across the board, entertainment or art in general. But yeah, you, you know, Slagle dropped out of community college to start Metal Blade, right? That's amazing. You know, it's, I, I saw a quote the other day, you know, go to college so you can so you can get a job working for all the guys that didn't go to college. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt about recording school, too. I mean, the technical stuff that you learn is helpful, but really the thing that's going to make you into a good engineer is the practice and being in the studio and doing it over and over and training your ear on your own, listening to stuff that you like and learning from engineers that you look up to. I think that's way more, right. val way more valuable than sitting in a class and, you know, learning the technical yeah. aspects. No, I agree, man. I mean, I've been doing this for a decade and I, you know, I'm sitting here working on mixes right now. Yeah, still learning shit every day, you know, and just yep, like oh, you know, holy shit, this is this is not working here, you know, and I have to you know problem solve. And there and there's constants in in my work, you know. I mean, I I tend to come down a little hard on guys who mixes I think always sound the same, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure I have a style to many many people's ear, but I I like the guys that that really let bands sound like themselves, and I have a real respect for dudes that 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 are able to have the confidence to do it a little different every time. And yeah, I know and that's, that that's a big thing. That's a big thing for me. Yeah. I was going to say, I know that you're of the mindset that you're trying to get every band to sound like themselves and not put them in a box of, this is a Mark Lewis recording. Like for example, when you played me that new, um, I forget, was it Cold chamber, the new Cold chamber? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounded so much different than some of your other mixes, but exactly right for that band. And it's stuff like that that I think uh, is really cool. Is not not doing the same mix every time, but taking the strengths of the band and you know making it customized for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know I I try to do that. I mean, it. You know, I I definitely appreciate that that you notice that and and even you know dig it because. It takes it takes longer, man. You know, it's there's other guys out there that that have their templates, and you know, yeah, not even you know just in metal, but uh, you know, they 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 work quick and they have their guys or their assistants to do the stuff for them, and right, they work quick and get the mixes out of there. And you know, man, I'm I'm not fast. Yeah. I'm not, and I will never I will never admit. I mean, I'm a fast editor. I sure. mean, I can you know edit on the fly, and sure, and I always like to get to the right take, but. You know, when it comes to mixing and making decisions with the sounds, I mean, I'm not, you know, I take my time and, you know, because I think it makes for less work in the end. But then, you know, if I get a mix where there's something wrong, it's like, man, you know, I could be working on one song for a week sometimes. And then, you know, obviously once you nail it, it's all downhill from there. But, right. you know, even Brian said it. He's like, you know, it used to, used to take a long time to track the record. Now it takes a long time to mix it because, yeah. you know, we have so many options available to us and, you know, and, and I in particular really want it to be its own unique thing. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm going to have similarities and my decision making is always going to be similar, sure. you know, because it's my brain. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's just important to give bands the identity because, you know, you just kind of lose something when, when you're making everybody sound like how you want them to sound. What advice could you give to bands who maybe haven't done a professional recording before? You know, maybe they got their songs together, they think they've got them them pretty tight, and they're going into the studio for the first time. They don't really know much about the recording side of things. What are some like common mistakes you see, or uh, easy uh, fixes for things that uh, they could do before they go into the studio for the first time? It depends on the band and, and how your approach is. Um, you know, some of the really pro bands, obviously, like like Cannibal or, or Black Dahlia Murder or, you know, Devil Driver, Whitechapel, those guys, like, they have song structures down pretty well, yeah. which, you know, that's kind of something, I don't know if it makes you any more or less professional, it's just some bands have that vision. But the big thing is, is they'll come in even with tempo maps or Pro Tools sessions or MIDI maps that I can bring into Pro Tools and we can just start tweaking the demos immediately. And I can say, hey, we need another riff here. We need to take this riff out or let's speed this part up or slow this part down. Yeah. So kind of having having a general idea of the tempos of your songs, even if it's something I'm going to change, yes. is great. And that's, that's a big one. Especially having your drummer 
being well rehearsed is a big deal because yeah. it's easier it's easier to get a great performance out of a guitar player that's well that's less well rehearsed than a drummer. Yeah, you know, you, the drummers. You, yeah, I I uh, I was just gonna say when I went and tracked a record, we didn't have tempo maps done and uh, stuff changed, and it made tracking really difficult because it changed the like face of like three of the songs. Right, and, and I mean, it's you know, there, there's always going to be unexpected changes, you know, or quite often there is. I mean, and there's just nothing you can do about some of that. But it, there's just so much muscle memory and so much of an athletic side of being a drummer yeah. in, in heavy metal, especially that having that stuff in your mind and in your body is is so helpful to making a great sounding record, especially you know because. Somebody like me is not, you know, just would really rather not sample the shit out of your drums. So the harder we hit them, and the and the more confident you are behind the kit, I think the better record we're gonna have. And uh, speaking of that, because I actually don't know this, did you play in any bands before? I did. I did have a uh, a melodic death metal band. Um, well, I mean, sort of writing with a guy in like when I was young, probably nineteen ninety nine. But then I, when I had moved to Florida. We lost a little touch, and then I came back to to Maryland, and it, because there was at that time, believe it or not, this was late 2004. Audio Hammer was not busy, so we, Jason and I, stayed friends. I moved back to Maryland. I started teaching guitar full time again, which is what I did before I was producing, and um, lived in Maryland for about six months and wrote an entire record with a guy and. Uh, that was like the first in-depth full-length record I think I ever tracked. And um, funny enough, it was me and a guitar player named Dave Brenton, and then the drummer was Dave Elich, who was in the Mars Volta and Killer Be Killed. Oh, wow. Anti- Anti-Mask now. Um, and there was like 10 or 12 songs that I thought were pretty all right. Of course, some of the arrangements were a little... You know, it could have been tweaked, maybe a little self-indulgent shit, but long story short, yeah, it was very at the gates influenced stuff. The name of the band was was Symphony. It was pretty pretty terrible band name. <laughs> yeah, that's not that's it's not a good one. Is that on iTunes at all? It's not on iTunes. Oh but, man, uh, you might be able to find you might be able to find it on YouTube because there was three songs. Like, even Slave, you know, had the promo at one point. I'm nice. sure he's on fire. Use it as a <laughs> he might he might actually bad. still have that. Yeah, he may, he may. I, you know, the, there was some really decent songs on there, and I mean, I, I was, I was playing guitar, and we were both, you know, trading solos. It was so Arch Enemy at, at the gates, old Arch Enemy at the gates type influence, and uh, I think the lead-off song on the promo was just a terrible idea. And we, we should have put <laughs> one of the catchier songs up front, and I sure. think that probably would have gotten a little bit more attention. Well, you know, it's it's experiences like that that kind of uh, build the foundation of what you do later. So that, that's important. You got that out of the way, and, and especially to get that kind of experience under your belt on something that essentially was almost, you know, other than what you put in yourself was no pressure. Yeah, I mean, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big learning experience. I mean, we we definitely did a lot of uh, dumb shit, recording mistakes on there, but you know, it still came out fine. And uh, I think I still have those tracks somewhere, and you know, it's. It is what it is. I feel know? like uh, I feel like a lot of good engineers are also good musicians. And uh, how do you feel like that uh, plays into your recording? Do you feel like having a knowledge Dude, of, of playing yourself really helps you? It's integral, man. I mean, I just don't see how you can, especially make a metal record if you're not. Yeah. And I know, you know, there, there is some guys that, you know, like maybe one or two that I can think of that I know of that are not really noted musicians. Uh huh. In their own right, that have done great records, um, but you know, in terms of really being an engineer and and digging in and being, you know, in my eyes, a producer is somebody who can kind of like be in the band for the you know four, eight, ten weeks that the record takes to make. Right. You know, and and for me, I was that's how I got into recording. I was a guitar nerd, and and, and you know, my dad was was an audiophile, and it was like it just kind of like segue from being obsessed with why doesn't my guitar sound like James Hetfield and David Staines? <laughs> yeah. Like, like how, how can I capture this? And then I was, you know, 
chaining tape machines together and it sounded like dog shit. It was stupid. <laughs> you know, and then, and then, and then I got, you know, a four track and then blah, blah, blah. And then I finally got into computer recording and, you know, it was just being a musician was what got me interested in recording in the first place. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess somebody that's not into music, you know, I guess your satisfaction would be that you're a really big music fan. Yeah. So I guess I guess that would keep you going, but to me, yeah, it's, it's super integral. Man, it you helps. have to be able to say to the drummer, "Hey, dude, it's sixteenth notes here. Can you play this? Play this eighth notes on the ride here, and then you know, do a triplet fill right. in this next part." So we have this cool, you know. You have to have a common language, yeah. Yeah, 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 and, and it's I'm all about vibe too, you know, and I'm all about guys that say, "Yeah, man, we just need more of that." thing and, and sometimes a comment like that will be enough to make a band give you that thing yeah but you know if you need a solo section or you need a, a, a 16 note double bass part or whatever you'd be able to say that to somebody yeah i i don't know how it was yeah. for you uh when you started out but for me it was kind of when i started recording it was kind of the beginning of digital recordings i guess not the very beginning but you know when it was getting popularized and uh you know yeah it was it was like the hey you know look what we can do yeah and i remember i was recording on like adats and stuff where it was really difficult to edit and um, mm-hmm. and then we went you know we went obviously into the pro tools era where everything uh started getting quantized and gridded and all that stuff and then now i feel like we've almost come full circle to where we're trying to get away from the quantized gridded computerized versions of everything oversampled and stuff like that. And I know, um, you know, know, we've been talking about this on the podcast a lot lately. We talked about it last time even, but like on the BDM album, for example, we really tried to get takes to where we wouldn't have to edit very much. You know, you wouldn't have to over go overboard with any samples. And uh, yeah, I mean, just talk a little bit about that. Like how did, uh, how is everything changing and how, how, how is it from your perspective? Well, you know, I, I don't know if I'm in the, in the minority or the majority in this opinion, but I just feel like letting humans be humans makes for more timeless records and, and better selling records. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a whole subgenre of, of metal that's still super quantized and all direct guitars. I mean, yeah. And you know, drum samples and it's, and it's, well, it's not even a whole subgenre. It's like, you know, like everybody from, from asking Alexandria to, to even some of the periphery stuff. And, and those guys are such incredible musicians, by the way, at periphery. Yeah. But like, like even to me, like, you know, Misha and I are buddies, but I'll say to him, dude, you know, like, you know, I, 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 I see you guys live. Like, I know what you're capable of. You're not fooling me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you should sound like that. Sure, and and I I don't think I don't think that that would even I hope it's not an offensive thing to them, but that's how I feel. Maybe they're so tight that they sound edited to me, and and I don't know, uh, or the asking out of Andrea stuff where everything's like all direct guitars and this and that, and it's just man, you know, I'll work with any of those bands all day long, but I'm not going to do that, you know. And I mean, I I want to be like, you know, what amps do you like? What do you sound like when you play in a room? Right. What do you sound like? You know. You know, it's like it's like you know, Black Dahlia Murder is it, it, or Cannibal Corpse to me is like it's like Slayer, man. Like you go watch them and you're like, yeah, that's that's why those records sound like they do, right? Because you know, Cannibal Cannibal plugs into a fucking recto with a metal zone in front of it. You know, Slayer's the JCM 800s, Black Dahlia is the 5150s. You know, yeah, and it's their thing, you know, and it's and sure, a million bands all play those amps. They have their settings and their guitars and their hands, you know, and it's not an Axe Effects and it's not a Kemper and it's not this and that. And the Kemper's a different story, but than the Axe Effects, but yeah, it's like what what is you know what what does the band sound like? Yeah, what are you really trying and, to capture? What are you really trying to do with a with a recording? Right, right. That's my approach, and and, and I don't like I said I don't know if I'm in the majority or the minority, but it's something I'm obviously very uh, passionate about. You know, I'm not afraid to say say it like it is, and yeah. People love that. I mean, you know, people love the, some of the bands that are quantized do really well. And but I think the real classic records have a lot more of a human element to them. And even the overproduced bands, you know, somebody I think somebody tried to say to me once that, oh, what about a band like Def Leppard? Well, there was still so much human element in there. You know, like even down to the using two different 
fucking Roger Lynn drum machines and having to press play at the same time <laughs> is still going to give you more of a, a human feel than, than a perfectly quantized Pro Tools drum beat. Totally. I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just, I feel like it's such a more interesting thing to listen to and it's a lot more work. Yeah, it sure is. I like it. Yeah, and, sp- yeah. and speaking of that, from... When I've uh, kind of briefly spoke to Ryan here in the office about it, uh, obviously the Black Dahlia murder being the most immediate example, uh, that was kind of the approach with this new Black Dahlia murder record. Um, what Was that uh, something that was talked about with the band extensively beforehand, or was that kind of decided once everybody kind of got there? Because I know those guys do pretty extensive prep before they go to cut a record. Yeah. Um, I think I can talk for them a little bit. I know that they're their focus before recording is really on the songs and they're not extremely technical guys as far as recording goes. So they kind of, you know, put that in Mark's hands as to how the, the production is going to be handled and they're really focused on playing and everything. So I think for that album, you know, beforehand, Mark and I talked a lot about, you know, the direction we wanted to go and, um, you know, we, we both, you know, we're talking about vibe and feel a lot. And that was something that they were obviously cool with, but, um, you know, not being the most technical guys, it wasn't like they're, you know, they weren't sitting us down like, yeah, we want to have it sound really real. I mean, they always want really realistic sounds in the mix. They don't want a lot of fake snare and stuff like that. But I think, um, I think it goes for a lot of musicians that they're more worried about their playing and their songs. And they kind of want to leave the production decisions up to someone they trust. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, you know, I think, um, I think that once they heard what was happening and say, like Trevor, especially, you know, I think that guy might be the biggest metal fan on the face of the planet. Yeah, that, that is, that is accurate. He's up there. He, he He's like, he just gets so excited about things. And when he heard how raw it was sounding, he's like, Oh my God. He's like, I didn't, you know, he was genuinely, genuinely excited and that made me excited because he was like, this sounds so raw and cool. And he's like, he's like, this is what it sounds like when I'm standing in front of the band in the rehearsal room. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and, and that was, that was cool. And I mean, you know, and it's like, he, he, you know, even Sukov when, when he heard the mixes when I was done, he's like, this just sounds evil. And I'm like, yeah, it sounds fucking, sounds gross and cool. And, and, you know, it may not be the cleanest thing in the world, but you can still hear everything. And, there's just something to be said about that right, like, touch of, of smear, I guess. Yeah. Because, you know, I could certainly look back at records I've done, in the, especially in, like, the mid-2000s, mid to late 2000s, where it's like, oh, my God, I clearly got Sound Replacer that week. Like, right. <laughs> you're just like, Jesus Christ, what the hell was I thinking with that fucking snare drum? Well, it's a, it's a lot you easier. Know? It's a lot easier to put samples on everything. You can make everything huge. You can, yeah, sonically and from a purely engineering standpoint, that's the easiest way to get an amazing sounding album. But then you're left with something that has lost a lot of its humanity. You know? Yeah, it's 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 more it's more dishonest, and um, you know, I there's hey, I don't know, maybe it matters, maybe it doesn't. Maybe we're sitting here on this podcast, blowing smoke up our own asses. But, <laughs> maybe you know. Some guys don't don't care as much, but I I really do think in the unspoken kind of listening scientific way of things, I think it makes for more appealing records. And you know, I just can't think of one gigantic metal record, and I'm sure that people will write in or or, or prove me wrong if they hear this. It's really really fake that it's considered a classic, right? That yeah, that's really maybe, true. Maybe maybe Fear, maybe Fear Factory the manufacturer, but even still, man, like that was that kind was of their like, thing, though. Yeah, that was their thing, and you know, it's like even even talking to Dino or Colin Richardson and 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 the other guys and how they pulled that off. It's still human. There's still so much room for error with those old digital setups, as opposed to you know what's going on now and has been for the past ten years. Yeah, totally. You know. Yeah, well, I think that uh, evil sound is going to match up well with this record. Mark, have you seen the cover art yet? I have. It looks killer. I, Dude. I, I love it. I hope uh, I hope the, the label likes it as much as everybody else does. It's probably one of the best metal covers I've ever seen. So I'm I'm really excited. Yeah. Be- between the sonics of this album and the aesthetics, it's going to fucking hit hard when we put it out. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to see what people think of it. You know what I mean? I, I am not often, like, happy. Um, I hear you there. When I am. <laughs> what's that? I said, I hear you there. I'm not often happy. Vince is just disgruntled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not often happy with, with finished products. So you always want to do something a little better. But I feel like this record is, is cool and, and, and sounds sounds special. And, and I hope that people like that and, you know, notice it. But at the same time... I just want them to hear the record, you know. It's, it, you, you have to, you have to put all that um, kind of to bed sometimes, because really making a record is all about taking somebody somewhere and not getting a pat on the back for production. Yeah, sure, you definitely. Know? And it, this is always a special time for a band and for everybody involved, where nobody's really heard it yet. We're really excited to put it out there, and that anticipation is just—it's uh, really cool. Because in a year from now, we're all going to be a little bit more jaded to it and used to it. So it's a. Uh, Right now, right before a big record like this is always kind of fun. Right, right, right. Agreed. So um, we didn't get a ton of questions from Twitter, but we did get one from at Ronan Butchery, and he says he's an Irish uh, production student. Um, he's looking for tips of starting your own recording CV, and I had to look that up, and that's basically like the English uh, equivalent to a resume and how to get into the career. So I think basically his question is, how do you, how do you get started? Um, you know, what kind of things can get your foot in the door? Um, you know, tips for beginners, I guess. Well, I mean, I, I guess going back to earlier, I mean, I, you know, if, if he's a musician, I mean, you know, he can start recording his own band and maybe start recording local bands or scouting talent. I mean, you know, I mean, everybody starts recording about, for free at first from my experience. You know what I mean? Like you record your buddy, yeah, it, your buddy's band for nothing. And then you kind of get some practice and you go from there. And that, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, you know, um, the recording business, you know, when, when it comes down to being degreed and all that stuff, it just like, like we said, it doesn't matter. But I think, you know, somebody like me or, or Jason or, or anybody who's been in a business a decade or longer, Nobody cares where we went to school, but that 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 decade we've spent is like our degree, right? And um, so it's just all about time. I mean, the time is school. You know, it's like sure. it's like the six or seven years it takes a doctor to be a doctor, and the right. you know, took him to write this or whatever. It's just the time, and that, that's what I would say to somebody coming up in it. It's like don't get caught up on where you're going to school. If I had to do it all over again, I would I would be a lot smarter about where I put my money in terms of, of gear choices and things like that. And, you know, did it really make a big difference? Nah. When I, when I was first starting out, I could have made better decisions about what I owned and right. what I ended up renting and blah, blah, blah. Right. So, well, um, well, I was going to say, let us put, let's put it this way. Cause I think this is what this guy's asking. And it's not uncommon for me to see people ask about this, uh, in the creative sphere as a whole. Is there any hope for people like this that come out of school or that kind of do it on their own? to actually send resumes to established recording uh, facilities to try to get a job. Is there any hope in that at all? I, yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, as far as me or Audio Hammer is concerned, no. Don't even send it because we're not hiring anybody. <laughs> but um, I, I think it's probably mostly referrals, right? It, it is referrals. And, it, and you know, I, I honestly think about, you know, the thing that got my foot in the door with, with Sukoff and the other studios that I interned at before I met Jay, I think I was a, a, a not annoying kid to hang out with. So people were like, yeah, we can have this guy around. That's pretty you know, damn so important. Like it, yeah, it, you know, it, it, it might be in your best interest to maybe observe yourself. There is studio etiquette, and I don't, you know, I don't think we have enough time in the podcast to go through all of it. But, yeah. You know, when, well, when, you either when, get when it or you, you don't. Yeah, you, you, I think you either get it or you don't. Yeah, and I, I think that you have to just really, you know, be respectful and be willing to learn. And, and you know, like, but Jay, you know, everybody knows how crazy his schedule is. And when I first started working with him, it was like, okay, you want to get out of the studio at 3 in the morning? Guess I'm getting out of bed. Right. You know, and and that's that's what it was, is I was there 24-7 when he needed me. You know, every situation's unique. I mean, I think I was... You know, I was lucky to, to be a little bit in the right place at the right time and then work my fucking ass off once I found out what place I was in. So you have to be willing to do that. You know, you just don't stop until you're there is what I'd say. Because there, there is a band out there that needs your services. And if it takes you two months to mix their record, but it ends up on, on Metal Blade's desk and, and Vince hears it or Kelly hears it or Ryan hears it and goes, oh man, this is a great record. Then Slago hears it. Oh, who mixed this? Oh, 
fucking irishdude.com. <laughs> and all of a sudden he's, and then all of a sudden he's getting, you know, smaller metal blade budgets. And then he's getting medium and then bigger metal blade budgets. And then he's then, then prosthetics calling him. And then, you know, it's, that's just how it goes, man. Yep. Yeah. And, and that is, that's, that's what happens. I mean, you, you just make something undeniably good. People are going to, people are going to pay attention to it. It's not about landing the next Metallica record off the bat. It's like, you know, find the Metallica that hasn't been discovered yet or the next kill switch that hasn't been discovered yet. And do what you can, man. That's, that's all. That's all what? I can say. I mean, that's, that's what happened with Jason and Trivium. And then, and then we started with smaller bands and then that was it, you know? Uh, would you recommend that this guy start going to the strip club now and practicing there? <laughs> I, I I say I say at least one one night a week at the strip club, and if you can make him, if you can make it to the Coliseum in Detroit, that's, that's probably great. <laughs> Bam, oh, man. Yeah, that's how you make a record right there. Oh, it's perfect. Yes, it is. Oh well, cool. Well, uh, yeah, man. Seriously, thank you for taking the time. We know you're always slammed down there. Uh, you're you're always creating something. So for that, we uh, are very much appreciative. Uh, where can people? Uh, hey, no. No Where can problem. people find out more about you in the studio and if they possibly want to record with you, how would they go about doing that and so forth? I think I'm pretty Googleable these days. Um, I, I, I am on, on Facebook and you know, you can, you can hit me there if you need to, even though it's probably getting full and I, I'm kind of bad about messages, but the audio hammer website, audiohammerstudios.com, you know, you, you can email info at audio hammer and, and uh, one of us will see it if you want to, address me address me directly and it will be passed on to me or you know my management is is one way steve davis you know he's another guy to, to talk to and you know anybody that really needs to find him can uh what's your twitter my twitter is at mark lewis 720 my instagram's at mark lewis 720 and facebook is mark lewis 720 so there you go i, I think it's awesome. all, all the same all the same so you know I'm, if your music's good and and you're not joking around I'll respond to you. Well, cool, Mark. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, man. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Mark, for talking to us. Uh, what, a, what a great dude. Yeah, in the middle of uh, mixing and working on a ton of records. Yeah, he's working on some, uh, well, can we even say? Uh, he, he, yeah, he's, he's working on some Whitechapel Live stuff yeah. for uh, upcoming things. Pretty cool. And uh, yeah, a few others that he actually wouldn't even tell us. So, secrets. Yeah. Upcoming albums secrets. that haven't been announced yet. Cool. And uh, yeah, th those guys at Audio Hammer pretty much cutting edge of what's happening between Mark Lewis and Jason Sukoff. Jason is like my brother. I feel like like we're, we're I feel like he's one of my better friends, especially in the engineering world. And Mark is the same way, just an awesome dude, and yeah, really uh, talented. Yeah, one of my favorite moments of any studio video ever is that one from Black Dahlia oh, with yeah. Rachel, where uh, you were sitting. I think you were sitting next to uh, Sukoff at the time, and he's working on something, and the computer screen just goes dark. And the computer shuts off, and Trevor just goes, I think we're on to something completely new here, guys. <laughs> I don't even remember that part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was from the Ritual Studio video. I like when he's grabbing onto the van, and we have yeah. the helicopter doors open. That's what Great. we called it. And he's yeah. just like flying down the road on his wheelchair. Amazing. Yeah, that's perfect. I hope he still does stuff like that. What a great dude. Anyway, that was Mark. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, how about some uh, science news? Science news of the week. Science. Series. Do you know what that is? It's a moon. It's a planetoid. Oh, wait. This is in the asteroid belt. I, I, Correct. I forgot. Ves, I, Vesta and Ceres, they're the two biggest uh, things in the asteroid belt. Well, of course, the asteroid belt is located between Mars and Jupiter for people that uh, don't know anything at all about space. Uh, Ceres was actually discovered a long time ago. It was discovered by uh, an astronomer, Father Giuseppe Piazzi, in, Giuseppe. in 1801. So Man. we've known about Ceres for a heck of a long time. Wow. But Dawn, it's about a half a billion dollar project to send this probe out to first Vesta. Yeah. And then Ceres, it's uh, the first probe to ever actually orbit two different objects uh, in the solar system. A lot of the things before were flybys. Right. This is actually done maneuvers. It has an ion drive, so it That's can really it actually cool. has propulsion. Whereas Voyager, um, both of those, neither of them had propulsion. They were just... Those were propelled uh, exclusively by gravity. Gravity assist. So they, we, they weren't able to do multiple... If they got into an orbit somewhere, they would have been stuck. That's really cool with the ion drive. Yeah. Uh, I don't know all of the stuff about it, but from what I know, it's um, it can last an extremely long amount of time. That's it doesn't, the idea, yeah. It doesn't have a lot of thrust. Right. But when you're thrusting nonstop for however long, you can right. get to some pretty high velocities 
and you can do more maneuvers and you're not worried. <laughs> thrusting nonstop, phrasing. Thrusting nonstop, <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the, when it's not a manned mission, you don't care how long it's going to take. Right. Uh, just, you know, obviously, as long as it's not a couple hundred years or anything unmanage- unmanageable. But right. anyway, you might have seen this uh, just a few days ago. Dawn is about 3,200 miles away from uh, Ceres, and it's sending back higher resolution images of the surface of the planetoid. And there's some shiny stuff there that they don't know what it Two is. Two bright spots. And this yeah. is the kind of thing that makes it all over even to mainstream news uh, because, you know, people are interested, I guess, when something anomalous happens in outer space um, because we know so little about it. And, uh, you know, everyone wants to find out if there's life other places. That's, that's always the big question. And, uh, yeah, when you, when you see some extremely bright spots on um, the surface of – do they call it a planet? They don't – No, it's a planetoid. Planetoid. So it's, yeah. a, it's kind of like a, a really big asteroid that's round. Yeah. It's um, big enough to be round. Yeah, exactly. Which makes it significant. Right. So they see these extremely bright spots on the surface and – they have no explanation for what it could be. They don't even really have a good theory. There's some ideas bouncing around, but it's really interesting. And this is what science to me is all about is, oh my God, here's something we we don't know. We didn't expect. Now we have to try to figure out what it is. And yeah. luckily we're sending the probe there that's going to get closer and closer. You were yeah. explaining that a little bit to me earlier. Yeah, it's getting closer. And what they're doing as it approaches the planetoid is they're stopping rotating uh, Dawn around and popping photos off and then rotating the, uh, whatever you call it, the probe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> rotating it back around and resuming propulsion. Right. Um, so they're getting closer and eventually it's, it. I don't know if it had already, I don't recall from the, the graphic I looked up earlier, captured by series orbit and it'll sit there and get closer and closer. So right now, um, the resolution of the images we're seeing are about 1,600 feet per pixel, ah, which isn't that good. Right. The, the pictures look amazing. Yeah. But... They're only going to get better. It's not enough of a resolution for anybody to make any sort of geographic... Definitive. Yeah, yeah. make any uh, observations that they can really be confident in. They just know they're seeing bright spots. Is it ice? Is it evidence of uh, cryovolcanoes, which would be ice volcanoes? Uh, like they have on, you know, Enceladus and uh, Europa, Europa, I believe. Yeah. Is Enceladus right? Is that one? Uh, yeah, I, I think I so. so. Yeah. Um, and Enceladus, in, in those examples, we can pretty much are sure that those cryovolcanoes are from the tidal forces they're experiencing from their host planet. Like Jupiter is so mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. Um, that it actually it heats connects, the core. Yeah. It, it heats the core just through the expansion of the planet. Ba- right. Because of the gravitational stretched. forces of Jupiter. It's like taking some putty yeah. and, and yeah. smashing it in your hand until it gets really hot, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you ever take a, a credit card and bend it in half really fast, it gets, gets it, hot. it'll actually get warm, yeah. Sure, torque. You yeah. can imagine that on a, a global scale of just rocks crushing and expanding, you'll create volcanoes right. out of whatever material uh, is able to become liquid in that, that system. So water is one of those things that, uh, at a certain temperature, obviously becomes liquid, and it becomes liquid at a much... Uh, lower temperature than rock. Like rock is our volcanic material here. Right. Lava, whereas in space where it's much cooler, water is one of the more uh, logical sure. things. It's uh, super so, interesting. I love when there's unknown things in science yeah. that, that we're hopefully about to figure out because we're right on the cusp of getting more information. And I assume they have more instruments than just the camera that they're going to have. Yeah, um, what, what else they have, I'm actually not sure, but they're fairly certain that there's large amounts of uh, ice water beneath the surface and there are uh, hypotheses that say that Ceres actually has a mantle and a crust. It, it actually is big enough to have a distinguished core, where some planetoids and asteroids aren't big enough to have that. That they don't, they haven't um, accumulated enough mass to right. have uh, the the layers like I, planets do. I wonder if it's a metal of some sort. Um, you know, one of the, my favorite pastimes is just to go on YouTube and watch. Now the you most... look at a lot of crazy shit, man. Oh, dude, I love to go on YouTube. This is my one of my favorite things in life. And just watch the most crazy conspiracy theories or crazy uh, pseudoscience, um, just anything that people just make up or come up with. And, you know, I don't believe the stuff normally unless it's got some really good evidence behind it. Um, and I think that's another really important thing is people always want to talk about conspiracies or this or that. And the whole point is you shouldn't believe anything but you could put a probability on it. Like, you know, I, I don't think, um, 
aliens, there's evidence for them here, but there's a pretty good chance. You know, you don't have to be a one or a zero, a yes or a no. You can say, you can be in the middle. And I think that's where people mistake a lot is they want to either believe something or disbelieve it right away. But uh, there are a hell of a lot of things we can't entirely rule out. Right, exactly. So you never want to shut yourself I mean, off with your belief. Th- then you get into some philosophical questions of certainty sure, and truth. Sure. You know, and what can you really prove? And Right, yeah. I, nothing, mean, really. I mean, look, the, the atomic structure of atoms is nothing we can really directly observe. It's just mathematically, exactly. it, fit, it fits our models. Exactly. And we can make predictions based on it. And that's, that's how we know it's accurate. Yep. Or at least we're accurate enough that we have cell phones. If our if our mathematical models of atoms and molecules weren't accurate, then we wouldn't have computers and cell phones. Exactly. That's one um, of the so big yeah. problems in science and religion and in life is getting stuck in a belief and then even when there's evidence to the contrary, not changing your opinion. Yeah, exactly. But one of the I and I was the reason I brought that up is I was I was looking for some uh crazier explanations for what these lights could be. And the only one that I found uh that was interesting was someone was saying that it seems like since the closer we get, um, the more, the smaller and brighter these things actually appear to be is that they have close to a hundred percent reflectivity. So it's not something that's creating light. It's just something that's reflecting sunlight very efficiently. And you know, this is obviously some wacko who knows what kind of evidence there is for this, but if it does have a hundred percent reflectivity, there's nothing known in science that's naturally occurring that has 100% reflectivity. So if that sure. turns out to be true, uh, it'll be interesting to see what the real cause is. I'm sure it's some natural phenomenon. I mean, I would if I had to bet, but uh, who knows? Maybe. My, my guess is ancient it, aliens, bro. My guess is it's frozen something or other. Yeah, that's what I would think too. Yeah, yeah. what it is if it's methane or water or whatnot. Yeah, aliens, we just, we just don't basically. Know. Aliens, yeah, it's alien base. Well, like I, some of those wackos will, will post math. To prove them right, like yeah. the, if you look up the Flat Earth Society, they have a lot of equations <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that show why the Earth is flat and why the Moon is a disk and it's not a globe. Yeah, it's like the math works out if you rule out a bunch of the other stuff we already know about the universe. Yeah, you can make their math works out in their world where they're ignoring a lot of things. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, there's a conspiracy that you know uh, the shuttles only barely go away from Earth and we've never been to the Moon and all that. So, I've seen yeah. that one. That's great. Yeah, which is which is you know obviously horseshit. I think Buzz um, Aldrin would punch you. Yeah, yeah. When he punched that guy, did we talk about that on this podcast before? No, Buzz Aldrin punched that guy. That's one of the greatest videos I've ever seen. Yeah. The guy came up to Buzz Aldrin and called him a coward and said he never meant, went to the moon. And then uh, Buzz Aldrin punched him in the face. Can you imagine <laughs> spending all this time and risking your life to go do something amazing for humanity? Some wacko calls you, you a coward. And you yeah. get back, and someone's like, "You never went there. You never did that." Well, not not only is he uh, crazy uh, in the fact that they had to spend all that time. Uh, training physically to go to the moon, it's that guy's a ha, he's got a PhD, he's a doctor, he's a physicist. Mm. So, he, is yeah, he? yeah, Buzz Aldrin, yeah, he, absolutely. Okay. Uh, if not a physicist, something, something in those realms. Hmm. Um, in, in those realms, that was a that's a failism, yeah, that's a Mike Failey metal bladeism. Um, which nobody knows what the hell we're talking about. Yeah, some, some people will, uh, yeah, he, he, a lot of uh, astronauts are kind of part of it you got to be a little bit smart to do you got to be smart yeah. that's for sure but anyway i think that's going to be the podcast for this week uh you can learn more about series and everything nasa is doing uh specifically at dawn.jpl.nasa.gov there's going to be updates there on the whole mission that's just to track dawn and to learn more i highly suggest doing so we're going to know more once dawn gets closer uh I'm very it will be to- 2016 uh at some point i want to say may or march somewhere around there I read a thing on the internet. Uh, we're sure. going gonna to be uh, a couple hundred miles away. So they're going to be close enough to take some real aliens. close pictures. <laughs> aliens. It's going to be aliens. I and, mean, I wish it was aliens. Which means we're going to have a lot of cool metal record concepts coming up once we know more about this stuff, right? Hell yeah. So there you go. That's the podcast for uh, this week or this month or however the hell many uh, many of these we do. Hope you enjoyed. And uh, what what track are we going to cut out to this, uh, this on this one? I just wanted to say also that uh, you can follow me on oh, Twitter yeah. at Augmented Ryan. And uh, you can follow Vince at Metal Vinny. Yeah, and uh, follow at Metal Blade on Twitter and at Metal Blade Records on Instagram as well. And I normally don't plug myself, but I do do recordings. And since we were talking about recording on this podcast... Uh, Hit me up if you're in a band that has some awesome stuff you want to lay down. Awesome. All right, we'll catch you guys next time. Enjoy this. This is going to be Armored Saint, Exercise in Debauchery from their uh, new record, Wind Hands Down. Rock on. Enjoy. (laughs) 